Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thanks for listening this Monday, May 10th, 2021. Topics on today's episode include my interview with economist Elliot Eisenberg and the latest on what is driving rates in the bond market. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Candor. Have you heard of Candor yet? As you'll hear shortly, they're gaining groundswell for their dynamic, adaptive, and automated underwriting engine. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome on Elliot Eisenberg, an internationally acclaimed economist and public speaker specializing in making the arcana and minutia of economics fun, relevant, and educational. I very much appreciate you making the time. Hey, you know, whatever it takes. Fame, <laughs> fame has no limit. I know. Well, I wanted to tell you, in your honor, I'm wearing a bow tie for this interview. Whoa, that is touching. I'm wearing a bow tie right now as it happens, too. There you go. We're I just doing a video, so I had to wear a bow tie. Uh, if only we were on video, but uh, people will just have to know that we are esteemed at a, at a level they can only aspire to. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. You are a, you are a poet. <laughs> and so with you, I was going to start out and say you're, you're in the rarefied world of economists who can make complex subjects understandable for your readers. What in your background led you to do this and how'd you get to this point today where you're being interviewed on, on this lovely podcast? What can I tell you? I took a course in economics in grade 11. I found it easy. I got an A, my only A in high school to that point. So I decided to become an economist. And because I wasn't a really good student, I appreciate the difficulty people have in understanding things. Things shouldn't be made difficult. If they're too difficult, it's hard to get excited about them. It's hard to teach somebody else about it. I also taught in graduate school and so on while I was getting my PhD, so that helped. But there's this natural desire to explain. Economics is unnecessarily difficult. Economists hide behind jargon. They shouldn't. And can you tell me some of your worst grades from high school, or is that uh, sensitive information? It's too many to care. There were several Fs, and in my grade 10, I think I got a D in math, a D in chemistry, and a D in bio. There you go. Well, I uh, I got a B plus one time, and my dad said he he didn't want me to come home for a week. So there you go. Living under a bridge was hard, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. Well, I am a troll. The uh, I, I think what I would have been doing instead of studying for that class was reading Freakonomics, and that that brought a lot of what economists do to the mainstream. I'm a I'm personally a fan of behavioral economics, where I can take the same things that motivate me or drive my economic decisions and apply them to the population in general. What advice would you give loan officers specifically about watching things in their daily lives that'll help them understand interest rates and where they might be going? Good Lord. You know, there's a joke about uh, St. Peter being busy and he asked Einstein to, to, to hold, on, hold the fort while he's busy. And Einstein introduced people and he asked them how smart they are. And the first person has IQ of like 200. So he says, let's talk about quantum physics. The second person has an IQ of 150. He says, let's talk about, uh, I don't know, Russian, great Russian literature. The third person comes and has an IQ of 67. Einstein says, great, let's talk about interest rates. Uh, look, <laughs> The important thing here is no one knows where interest rates are going to go. I can tell you what I think. I can tell you why I think so. But the market makes fools out of everybody. And I think the most important thing is to be flexible and be ready and be opportunistic with your clients. Oh, gee, this is a really good moment. Let's let's close right now if you're flexible or something. But to have the hubris to say, oh, I know what rates are going to do or how, that's, I mean, yeah, sure, we all think we know that the government's going to borrow tons of money right now and that's going to drive up interest rates. It might, but it might not. It took 12 years ago and someone said to me, oh, between the housing bust and now we'd, we'd, we'd borrow, you know, seven trillion or five trillion bucks and the dollar would stay strong and inflation would be non-existent. I would have been somewhat skeptical. So 
it's really hard to, to know where rates are going. That's, that's the God's honest truth. And the thing I like to tell people is that it's about expectations as much as it is actual events. Correct. And people, and people will say things like, oh, well, Q1 GDP came in at 6.4%. You know, what, that's so strong. What, is, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean we'll for rates? It. And I say, well, first off, it's a backwards looking report. And secondly, what did they expect it to come in at? They expected it to come in a little higher. So that's going to move rates in a different direction than, than people would have thought before the report even came out. Absolutely. You look at the stock market and all these companies are beating, beating market expectations on earnings per share or profit or so, whatever it is. And if they don't beat them by enough, their shares go down. It's exactly the same thing with interest rates. Well, was this already baked into the cake? And that's a lot of the question that's going on right now with, it, with, with interest rates and inflation. You know, we have this, we have this uh, base effect inflation because we're looking at prices today versus a year ago when the lockdown started. Prices were very low, then they fell dramatically. Gasoline prices collapsed, airplane ticket prices collapsed, hotel prices collapsed. So things look expensive compared to then, but they really aren't high now. They were just really low then. The second type of inflation we're looking at now is uh, uh, a bottleneck inflation. It's hard to get stuff. Inventories have been brought down. We're buying tons of stuff because we can't go out. We're starting to go out now more, but everything's on back order. Even workers, it's hard to find workers. A lot of restaurants and stores complain they can't hire people. This is going to go away too, but markets aren't sure. Some people think this is really going to start to cause a vicious cycle of inflation. I don't, and the Fed doesn't. But there'll be a lot of volatility, I think, as this is played out and we see which side is correct and how the Fed moves. Right now, we don't know when the Fed's going to start doing anything in terms of tapering. If once we know that, I think interest rates may become less volatile, but we may be entering a pretty volatile period as the market tests the Fed, the, te- the Fed res- jawbones back with, with, with Powell saying, we aren't even thinking about raising rates. Yeah, and isn't when you see cases of hyperinflation, like in Venezuela or I think Germany in the 1920s is another good example, it's as much expectations of inflation coming. So people will borrow ahead of time more than they should, or they're saying this will be worth less later. I can pay this off. Is that, is that true? I mean, that's, that's generally for inflation. Yeah. Hyperinflation. Gosh, you got all kinds of massive bad decision-making that generally is accompanying some initial situation that's bad. But expectations are critically important. If we think that Biden's going to, you know, reduce the deficit next year, and if you think his tax increases are going are to come through, that'll upset the apple cart, if you will, and that could change interest rate, interest rate and inflation expectation. But infl- and expectations are the critical word here. They really are. It's now what's going to happen in Q2 and Q3 and Q4, and what's going to happen with inflation in Q2 and Q3 and Q4, and especially Q1 even next year. If inflation's still bad next year, that, that, that will be a surprise, and, and that means rates may well rise. And so you touched on something quickly with stock prices that it, that isn't very germane to this interview, but a question that I've had in my head for a long time. If you're a company like Netflix and the market says, well, we expected you to get this many subscri- new subscribers, maintain this many subscriptions, there's not infinite levels of sub- potential subscribers out there. At some point, the curve flattens out. What happens then to the stock price? Great question. I mean, Facebook's got three and a half billion people on Facebook. That's roughly half the planet. I don't know how they can get a lot more. I mean, the people that aren't on don't have access to internet is my guess, or they're old enough, they don't care, or they're too little and they don't have a phone yet. But they can do other things. They can obviously try and increase revenue per person. They can offer new services. They could potentially try and buy another company, although that would be hard given the Federal Trade Commission and justice inquiries against them right now. So firms have to try and raise their game, if you will, and think of new ways to raise revenue, not the old ways. That's what, that's what they're going to encounter. And Netflix is one of them. 
That makes sense. So let's get a little back on track here. And I would ask you, uh, the world's economies and businesses generate what seem to be an infinite number of statistics. When it comes to those actually in the mortgage industry that are listening to this podcast, are there a couple that sales staffs could use to sound at, least, at the very least intelligent to their clients about what's going on? Yeah, there are, there are a couple. that they, they vary over time what becomes important. Right now, it's really is job growth. Job growth is absolutely critical. If job growth is good for the next five or six months, our economy is strong, things will improve, unemployment falls, spending goes up, and that's perfect. If we have bad numbers on job growth, that's, that's really harmful. The other thing right now that's important is core inflation, not headline inflation. Headline inflation is core inflation plus food and energy. And economists have learned that food and energy don't really contribute to the understanding of underlying inflationary trends because food and energy just bounce around because of uh, war and weather. And the Fed can't alter the patterns of war and weather in foreign countries. You know, Canada's weather is crummy or there's a war in the Middle East or whatever it is, the oil prices jump. So economists look at core inflation. I would look at core inflation reasonably closely. If that really starts to take off, that would be really problem. That that shouldn't say really problem. It could be problematic. If headline inflation goes up, I don't even pay attention at all. Thank you for that. As we alluded to earlier, it's not worth even asking where mortgage rates are are going based on based on these metrics. Uh, That's that said. Do you recall anyone last January or February coming close to predicting what has happened over the last year? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. What is that? Does that cast a shadow on anyone who claims to be able to predict rates or the future? I think it does. I mean, a lot of these people say, oh, in 2029, there's going to be a recession because the Kondratiev wave or the Elliott wave or, you know, whatever these long wave cycles are, says so and so. So it could happen. If you make enough predictions, something's going to come true. And if enough people make enough predictions, one person's going to be right. You know, if you had an infinite number of monkeys banging on an infinite number of keyboards for an infinite amount of time, they'd write all the great classics in every language. So um, the key thing is, can someone you know, have you ever met anybody who can consistently get it right? It may, getting it right once is worthless. It's just throwing a dart and getting 60, right? What skill is doing it on a regular basis or even on a semi-regular, quasi-regular basis? That's almost impossible. I want to know what the Eisenberg wave says. That's what I brought you yeah. up for. The Eisenberg says there's no way to beat the market. You can't beat alpha on the stock market. You can't predict the future. The, the, the 95% confidence intervals get wider the further out you go because the uncertainty keeps rising and rising. There you go. You heard it here. Thank you very much for talking to me. I, I enjoyed this immensely. I really did. My pleasure. I look forward to doing it with you again. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Yes, commodities like iron ore and copper are on fire, price-wise. Last week's manufacturing report highlighted the challenges facing many producers as demand for their products surges due to strong household financials. The index fell from March to April as production declined due to raw materials and labor shortages. Notably, the microchip shortage has paused production at many auto assembly plants across the country. Backlogged orders spiked to an all-time high in April as respondents noted historical lead times and rising prices. The much larger services side of the economy is experiencing many of the same constraints as manufacturing, which led to a slip in activity, but not for a lack of demand. Jobs and housing drive the U.S. economy, and employers in all sectors of the economy reported finding and retaining labor for both skilled and unskilled work as a major challenge, which has resulted in turning away business that would otherwise have been accepted if shops were fully staffed. The latest economic data did little to change the course of interest rates over the last week, 
as both the markets and the Fed are waiting to see how inflation plays out over the next couple months. For the moment, there is no expectation to changes in monetary policy through the rest of the year. Looking at bonds Friday, and therefore rates, the poor payrolls report to close last week didn't have an expected effect on the 10-year and MBS prices, both of which eventually made their way back to where they were prior to when the numbers even came out. One can never predict the market, and the pullback in bonds was assisted by the lack of the bearish response from the commodity market. Attention now turns towards this week's supply. The most likely market-moving event for this week is Treasury's quarterly refunding, consisting of a joint record $126 billion in new 3-year, 10-year, and 30-year coupons tomorrow to Thursday. We also have CPI on Wednesday, PPI on Thursday, and a busy Friday headlined by retail sales, in addition to import prices, industrial production slash capacity utilization, business inventories, and Michigan sentiment. Class A and B 48-hour notifications are Tuesday and Friday, respectively. With no economic releases of note today, though the employment trends index for April comes out later this morning, it would seem remarks from Chicago Fed President Evans, as well as the New York Fed desk purchases, will be what will garner investors' attention. Today's schedule sees the New York Fed desk conducting two operations totaling up to $4.8 billion of conventionals. We start the week with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged, as is the tenure, yielding 1.58%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. If 2020 was a math word problem, if you're going down a river at two miles per hour and your canoe loses a wheel, how much pancake mix would you need to reshingle your roof? (laughs) Thanks again to Candor for sponsoring today's podcast. I look forward to hearing more great things. Want to know more? Go to candortechnology.com. Tell them Robbie Chrisman sent you. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.